Welcome to For the Culture right here on WEAA 88.9 FM and WEAA.org. Absolutely the voice of the community. I'm your host, Faraji Muhammad. Thank you so much for checking in and riding with me, folks. Happy Thursday. Um, yeah, happy Thursday. That was that was that was a little lackluster. Can we try that again? Can we say Happy Friday Eve or something? There we go. There we go. Uh, <laughs> all right, folks, tonight we got a great show lined up for you. I'm really excited about the big conversations that we have. Uh, the first conversation is about home ownership. Home ownership. And um, I'm going to share with you just a couple of things about this issue of owning homes and its impact on black and brown buyers. So we're going to have a discussion around that uh, in, a, in a little bit around the 530 mark. I'm going to have a very special guest to talk to us about this larger issue of uh, home ownership. And, and really, why is it that the home ownership among black people have yet to truly go on the upswing? Why is that? And we're going to and, and I'm going to share with you what the secretary of HUD had to say about this. So we're, we're, we're going to get a little bit deeper into um, this issue of home ownership. And again, at 530, we're going to be checking in with Susan Ifill, who serves as the executive vice president and chief operating officer of Neighbor Works America. So that's going to be a great conversation. Of course, we'll open up the phone lines for you to join us. But then at the 6 o'clock mark, okay, we cannot forget that, between, that in Israel and in Palestine, they still have conflict. There's still beef. And so we're going to check back in with the Palestinian youth movement. We're going to check in with Laura Abbast, um, Alabast, uh, to give us some insight about why this conflict has yet to come to any true resolution, even with Israel uh, voting in a new prime minister. So we'll have that conversation. Plus, I'm going to talk to her about the involvement of women, where according to a new report, global report, they say that if you want to uh, bring some, some, some ease the tensions in that part of the world between Israel and Palestine, women must be at the table. Hmm. Is it because women know how to keep things under wraps? Keep y'all, y'all, ladies, y'all know how to just like, okay, okay. Because guys, we can kind of think. Let's get down to the brass tacks. Yes. <laughs> it is. There it is. So we're going to have that conversation in a little bit. All right, folks. But let's jump in to this discussion about um, what we're seeing right now in the home ownership piece. Because this is something uh, I, I want to share with you first what the HUD secretary had to say, Miss Marcia Fudge. If you're not familiar, this is a black woman who was brought on to HUD, um, and she said that the reason that home ownership is on the decline, especially among black home buyers, black and brown home buyers, is simply because, is simply because student debt has been playing a huge role in limiting home ownership for black folks. Yeah. She said, she asked a question, and she said this during an interview um, just a couple of days ago. She said, who has student debt? Poor people, black people, brown people. 
we're the people who carry most debt. And so the system already skewed toward us not being credit worthy. Now, I want to share with you, home ownership rates among black and brown uh, buyers have seen a dramatic decline in the last 15 years. Dramatic decline. Now, the Biden administration is looking to take on, to tackle this issue, um, and according to the Wall Street Journal, they reported that the Biden administration is considering relaxing student loan debt calculation policies when assessing home buying assistance. So what, 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 the, what the president is looking at is he's looking at and saying, okay, how is the uh, student loan, um, um, how does a person's student loan debt, how does that impact them from either getting a home, you know, being approved for a home or not being approved for a home? Now, let, let's break down the numbers on this, folks, because I think this is a huge, huge topic. And I think this is a big deal as to why we don't see the numbers that we want to see of homes in black in the black and brown communities. Let's let's take a look at this. What this is what Miss Marcia Fudge how she broke it down. She said, for example, if a person makes fifty thousand dollars a year, who wants to purchase a home, purchase that two hundred price that two hundred thousand dollars, but faces difficulties including a $75,000 student debt. And that's a lot of student debt, $75,000. She said that after adjustments are made, they're hoping to make that same person qualify because as of right now where it stands, if you make $50,000, you want to buy a home for $200,000, you carry $75,000 worth of student loan debt, then that debt will disqualify you from purchasing a home. She said that once we make the adjustment, we're going to make that same person qualify and will qualify at a rate that gives them an opportunity to go into a home with some equity, but also be so vested in that home that they can afford to stay in that home. It is right there, folks. There it is right there. Now, according to the uh, Federal Housing Administration, FHA, they had announced uh, last week that they are looking to make some changes and make efforts to remove some of the obstacles and barriers uh, for black and brown buyers to get into homes. They had sent a letter out to lenders last Thursday um, around about this issue. And I just want to share with you just some parts of this letter um, that they sent out last Thursday. Now, check this out. This is from... FHA, and they said that, uh, let me take a look here, they're trying to change the calculation of student loan debt. And so they say in this letter that the for outstanding student loans, regardless of payment status, the mortgagee must use, no, I'm sorry, let me, let's go back. Let me go back because I want to make sure I'm seeing, looking at this right. They said, okay, here we go. They said prior to the publication of a, of a policy book, they found that they did not address how mortgagees should calculate future payments of deferred student loan debt, which once due could negatively impact a borrower's long-term ability to repay their mortgage and other monthly obligations. Further, FHA policy did not distinguish between non-deferred student loans that are part of a repayment plan that does not fully amortize the student loan debt from other installment loan debt. And so they mentioned that back in April of 2016 and July of 2016, uh, how the FHA published uh, some policies adding that a separate, quote-unquote, student loan section in the handbook. But they are saying that in recognition of the expanding student loan payment plan alternatives offered by the U.S. Department of Education, including plans with variable um, amortization uh, schedules, 
based upon borrowers' income, HUD is adjusting the policy options available for calculating the monthly obligation of student loan liabilities. These changes seek to further HUD's mission of providing access to credit while ensuring borrowers maintain a long-term ability to repay their debt. So to break all of that language down, they admit, they recognize that they have miscalculated. They're finding first that a lot of people have owed student loan debt. And then at the second part of that, um, they're finding that the way they have calculated student loan debt as, uh, you know, you have some debt that people just have debt. But if you have debt and you're paying on that debt, right now where it stands, that debt still can create a negative impact even though you're paying on the debt. But they're saying, well, let's look at this again and see if if we can make it where the debt doesn't, it, that especially that's part of a repayment plan, that that debt doesn't carry a negative impact because the borrower is showing that they're paying on their debt. And not just that, that now they got to also talk to banks about making loans to borrowers in spite of these debts, these student loan debts, and to keep borrowers into their homes. This is big. This is big. So I want to open up the phone lines to get your take on this. 410-319-8888. What are your thoughts about this idea of recalculating and, and pretty much, I would say, uh, reshifting how banks, how uh, more specifically banks, look at this issue of student loan debt? Do you agree with Ms. the HUD Secretary Marcia Fudge? that this has been an impediment that has been blocking young people, young professionals, folks that are, that, that are out of school, that carry debt. I mean, you might have $25,000, dollars $50,000. $50, if you carry seventy-five dollars to $100,000. And there is still, a, a, I would say, a growing call of folks, of lawmakers, who are trying to get Congress and the president to possibly— uh, uh, what is that, to remove $50,000 for student loan debt? Because they're finding that people are carrying so much debt and it's debilitating. I want you to join me in this conversation right now. 410-319-8888. 410-319-8888. And let me know um, what, do you, what do you think about this issue. Now, when it was asked to Ms. Ms. Fudge, the HUD secretary, um, about who is to blame on the, the issue of poor housing of, 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 of black people and, and Latino people not buying houses, the question was asked like this. Madam Secretary, over the past 15 years, black homes, home ownership rates have gone dramatically down. Home ownership rates for Asians, Hispanics have gone up. What's happening? She said, part of our problem is that we have never totally enforced the Fair Housing Act. And that act, which was passed in 1968, says that discriminating against individuals for their race, color, national origin, religion, sex, familial status, or disabilities when dealing with housing-related activities, including sales, rentals, and mortgages, is illegal. She said that the disproportionate rate of black home ownership and the failure to fully implement the Fair Housing Act is why HUD has spearheaded efforts like home ownership assistance in addressing student loans. So they created a policy that essentially that they have not truly followed or enforced. I mean, that's not the first time this happened in America. This is America. That's what America does, unfortunately. But the question then becomes, when we look at this, that... This, this right here, and, and people will tell you that if you are able to, to own a home, you're able to gain wealthy, you, you start the process of building generational wealth. So let's talk about it. I want to get your take on it. 410-319-8888. I wanted to just lay out some of the ideas here, and um, then, um, you know, I want you to have a full context of, of, of this whole conversation. All right, let's go to Jamela. Jamela, thank you so much for checking in, sis. What's your take on this? 
Hi, my take is I do agree with the woman from HUD. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to say that I am a Morgan State graduate. Awesome. And during our exit interviews, Morgan stressed the importance of paying your student loan debt off. And I was a fortunate one, which I doubled and tripled my payment, and I paid my student loan off quickly. But Morgan really did enforce that years. I graduated in 1988. So years and years and years ago, Morgan stressed the importance of paying off your student loan debt. And I was one of the fortunate ones that I was able to purchase a home at a young age. And thanks to my parents, you know, letting us know that it was important. Grandmother always stressed, buy yourself a home. That way you'll always have somewhere to live. So that's the way I was raised. So you were raised, I mean, right. I mean, there's still value in owning a home in America. Yes. There's yes. still value. And so, yes, so you were given that, 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 I mean, you were probably told this when you were small prior to even coming to Morgan. Yes. I mean, as a little girl, my father used to always tell us, save $5 a week. <laughs> right. Your father's a wise yes. man. Yes. Yes. And he did not You're a wise man. I mean, pay five dollars a week, and and look, I bet you, I bet you, and I'm not in your pockets, Jamela. I'm just saying, for me, I can't, I, I forget more money that I've actually spent. Oh, I know, I do the same thing. You know what I'm saying? Like you just be like, well, I spent money on that, and I mean, if you think about how much money we spend today versus say 25 years ago, and it's always funny because people be like, I don't have money, and you look at, you know, when you really look through your budget. And I'm going I'm to talk, talk about another subject also. Yeah. My father used to, uh, he retired from the school system 37 years. But we would take him his dinner. No, he's not going to buy dinner out. He wants his dinner to be bought from home, which he constantly saved that money. Yeah. And we always used Something to Something very simple. We, yes, we used to spend so much money. He'd say, why do you need so many shoes? Why do you need so many Right. Prices? How much money do you have in your bank account? Dad was a practical man. Yes. Dad yes. was and a practical what? man. No, don't that's a good point. In, don't believe in, um, he don't believe in um, debit cards or anything. And he was like, when Chick-fil-A said you have to have a debit card, he said, why? He was just really upset about that. But He really wanted that chicken sandwich. <laughs> and no, before his great nephews. <laughs> that's the thing. He would buy them lunch and he said, but they want me to have a debit card. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yes. I understand. Uh, you know, Jamila, I appreciate you for kicking this off, but I, I, I love the fact that, y- you know, for you, 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 like you said, dad, grandma, everybody instilled in you very early that you need to prepare yourself for ownership. Let's go back to the line. Marcia, thank you for checking in. What's your take? Um, hi, Faraji. Hey, Marcia. Um, I, I, hello? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, um, I totally agree with what the last caller just said. Yeah. And I, I'm in real estate, and I will. this is what I'll say. Um, I, I think, yes, the student loans are a hindrance, but I think what I see on my end, part of the biggest problem is a lot of us don't understand the importance of having good credit. Um, now, let me ask you about that, because I'm glad you brought this up, because I feel like the credit system... And I and you tell me if I'm if I'm if I'm way off on this or not, Marcia. Oh, I'm, I'm totally. I know what you're gonna say. No, no, no. I'm gonna agree with you. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I, I'm just asking. I wonder because of where we are in this country with the amount of debt that we have from student loans to others from other sources, right? This is the amount of debt that most Americans have in this country. Are we at a point where we where we're saying? we may need to use a different metric other than your FICA score to determine whether you can pay your bills or whether you can be eligible for a loan. Are we at a different place? Or are, are we getting to that place? Or you think that this current, you know, financial, uh, 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 I would say this current, in, this current metric of our credit score is going to withstand within the next 20 to 25 years? Faraji, I have been saying this for years. Okay. That credit system is designed to keep certain people where they want to keep them. Gotcha. It is totally unfair. Let me ask you a question. Sure. Why would why should my credit go down if I'm shopping around for a loan? Why should my credit be affected because I had four different lenders run my credit so I could see whether or not 
company A, company B, company C would give me the best loan. Granted, it doesn't drop that much, right. but it still affects it. Right. Why did it affect it at all? You know, that credit system, it, I, I hope, I hope you're right. I've been saying it needs to change. It, it needs to, somebody needs to look into it. I think it's, you know, you look at, you look at people like the, the man I hate to call Donald Trump. Yeah. Who's filed more bankruptcies than you and I will ever Please. even think of filing in our lifetime. Right. And this man can get loans galore. Right. Meanwhile, you and I try and do our best to pay our bills and do what we need to do. And, oh, well, look, look here, um... It looks here like you didn't pay your um, visa bill yeah. last month. So, no, you can't qualify for anything. Right. It is designed to keep us where they want to keep us. And it is very unfair, and I hope it changes. At the same time, though, as somebody who sells real estate every day, I will tell you, while it is still in force, we really need to start from pre-K, if possible, to start telling our kids the importance of having good credit. Yeah. Like your last caller just said, the importance of not overspending. We need to teach our kids. I don't care how young they are. You can start when they're four years old. You know, give them a quarter. Show them if you spend that whole quarter, you have nothing left to buy something you may want to buy later on down the line. We need to start teaching our kids fiscal responsibility. We need to start teaching our kids in high school, the importance of keeping your credit strong. Right. Because I, that's what I see stopping a lot of, and you know, my people from buying homes. They, the other thing that's stopping them, and, and, and this is something that the student loan is not going to address, is the, the crazy prices of homes now. I mean, you well, yeah, know, that's, it, the, it that's the market. Insane. That's the right. And I just want to give, I'm going to give you, I got to give you 30 seconds for this. So do you think that student loans are a barrier or is there? Are, are, are we looking at the wrong thing in, in in trying to increase home ownership in black and brown communities? No, student loans are definitely a barrier. Okay, but they are definitely a barrier. But it is more than student loans. It's over the overall credit picture. Because I don't care if the government does something to overlook your student loans. If you have not been paying your visa and your Discover and your this and your car payment, yeah. them making student loans work in your favor unless you're going to change the entire system as you said it's it's not going to help all that's, right there it is well, i see i appreciate you so much checking her out uh she's dropping some jewels uh, she's a real estate agent folks we got to take a quick pause when we come right back we're going to check in with miss susan eiffel the executive vice president and chief operating officer of neighbor works america to give us more insight about this plus we're going to continue to take your calls about this issue of home ownership and how financial setbacks are not deterring dreams of home ownership, especially here in cities like Baltimore. Let's continue to have the conversation. So, of course, be ready to join us. You can join me on my Facebook page at Faraji Muhammad. And, of course, you can join us on air. But most importantly, stay tuned. We got a lot to get to in the second 30 of For the Culture here on WEAA. I do this for my culture, 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 So welcome back to For the Culture right here on WEAA 88.9 FM and WEAA.org. Absolutely, the voice of the community. I'm your host, Faraji Muhammad. Thank you so much for checking in and riding with me this evening. Folks, we are talking about the, uh, determining a clear path to home ownership and how to overcome the many financial obstacles, the setbacks that oftentimes have been preventing uh, black and brown own homeowners, potential homeowners, from achieving the goal of owning a home. Now, I just shared with you a little bit about what uh, HUD Secretary Marcia Fudge had to say in saying that student loan debt has been a big barrier of home ownership. Well, tonight I want to talk to a very, very special guest, a woman who is working in this, uh, has been working in this issue 
we're dealing with this issue for many, many years as she comes to the Neighborhood Neighbor Works Americas from its network organization, Neighborhood Housing Services of New York City, where she served as chief executive officer. She led a team of housing professionals responsible for addressing the issues of affordable housing and fighting displacement in New York City neighborhoods through education, grants, and affordable loans. And she joined uh, the uh, Neighborhood Housing Services of New York City back in 2010 as the chief operating and financial officer. And now she serves as the executive vice president and chief operating officer of Neighbor Works. We want to welcome to the airwaves of For the Culture here on WEAA, Miss Susan Eiffel. Miss Eiffel, how are you this evening? I am fantastic, Maraji. Thank you for having me. This is uh, this is going to be a wonderful uh, time you and I have together. This is a hot topic right now. Super hot. Super hot. I don't even know where to start, Miss <laughs> Eiffel. But look, we're going to start Please. here. Look, we, we, we talked a little bit about what HUD Secretary Miss Marcia Fudge had to say about the fact that if you recalculate, if you look at the student loan situation that has been plaguing black and brown uh, students and professionals for many, many years, um, if you recalculate that, if we reassess that situation, if we find to try to find some relief for that situation, we won't see this continuous decline of home ownership. Do you agree or disagree with that, Ms. Eiffel? I, I agree in part because okay. it's much larger than student loan debt. We're seeing people who are not necessarily going to college but have solid jobs, making a good income, uh, managing their debt. And so it's not just student loan debt. It's more uh, to the point you were trying to make. There's still a system issue that prevents black and brown people from achieving home ownership at the same rate that we see others. And so, yes, what are, what are we doing about it? Uh, NeighborWorks America has been around for 43 years, and it came out of Pittsburgh, where a woman named Dorothy Richardson was tired of seeing blight in her neighborhood, home ownership out of reach homes being purchased and sent to investors, and she wanted to do something about it. And that's what we're based on. So Congress created us 43 years ago to address this. And so you may want to ask yourself the question, Faraji, if Congress agreed to this, why are we still having this conversation? Uh, that, that's and, a when, and, 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 and Ms. Eiffel, <laughs> when did they agree to this? They agreed to this 43 years ago. This is a bipartisan supported organization. We have support on both sides of the aisle. And so now I think what we need to do with shows like yours and you're bringing this to light is let's continue to talk about how you get to home ownership. How do you fight the system that is real and unreal? And I say unreal because when you speak to some of these young people about home ownership, particularly if they are multi-generational renters, mm -hmm. they just don't see it as an opportunity. And what I try to tell them is, uh, you know, there's, I heard somebody say once, uh, stop booing yourself off the stage before anybody has a chance to see you perform. Mm. You're not a lender. Stop saying no before you've had a chance to sit with a certified counselor mm. whose job is to get you to home ownership. That's what they live for. And, and they have the language, they have the connections, and they also, as the word counselor would suggest, the right temperament and helping you wherever you come into the process to get there. Now, first and foremost, Ms. Eiffel, I have to say that is a fantastic piece of advice. Stop booing yourself off the stage before anybody get a chance to see you perform. I think we, we could apply that to home ownership and in any other, you know, uh, endeavor in life. So I, I love that. Correct. I love that one. But, but let's talk about the fact that NeighborWorks uh, uh, America, you guys conducted a survey to kind of get a, yes. just to get, a, you know, just like a litmus test for where people are, right? Uh, talk to us a little bit about this survey. Yes, so this is the fourth year of us doing this housing and financial capability survey. And, and the survey was created to help us understand the challenges potential and current homeowners face and how to create solutions because that's what we do. We are a network of 200 and uh, 50 organ plus odd organizations in every state in the country, D.C. and Puerto Rico, as well as on two Native American organizations. And our job is to figure out how to make that American dream an 
We still believe it is an American dream of home ownership. However, it's limited, especially in communities of color across all income brackets. And, and there are still uh, far too many concerns about the ability to own and the disparate treatment that they get when they go to banks or when they go to realtors. Yeah. And so when you sit with one of the counselors at those organizations, they have built these relationships with these realtors or with developers who are building specifically affordable housing. And they are the path to get you there. I mean, even my daughter, Faraji, you know, I've been in banking prior to joining the not-for-profit in the housing space. I made my daughter go sit with the HUD counselor. I said, because I can tell you things, but I'm going to have the, the view of the mother. But I need you to get the cold, hard facts from somebody whose job is to tell you true. No, you are not ready for home ownership. You can be, but here's what you need to do. You're a year out. You're 18 months out. And here are the steps to get you there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Folks, if you're just tuning in, we we are talking to Ms. Susan Eiffel, who serves as the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Neighbor Works America. Um, and we're talking about financial setbacks that deter people from home ownership, especially black and in Latino communities in particular. We want you to join us in the conversation at 410-319-8888. So, Ms. Eiffel, looking at part of this survey, I mean, I just want to share just a little bit of the kind of the notable findings from it. Uh, One Mm -hmm. is that uh, 58% have experienced a financial emergency or major unexpected expense. Uh, 30% experienced a negative financial impact due to COVID-19 in the past year. 73% of those who have experienced a financial setback due to the pandemic say it will take six months or more to recover, with 46% reporting it will take a year or more, and that affordability remains the most common top priority in a place to live. So that, that, that sounds like a lot of people who are in need, Ms. Eiffel. Um, you know, where should we put our hope and our faith in, especially in a market that is so crazy? Some, you know, people say this is a seller's market. You know, you got a lot of buyers, you got fewer homes, but these home costs are just just crazy. But yet people are experiencing some real hardship. So, so right. where, do, where should the, 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 the black buyer, the Latino buyer, where should they go if they're talking about, you know, upgrading their, their living space? Well, the first thing is start with how prepared are you financially? And please, Faraja, call me Susan. Okay. We're, we're having a conversation about real stuff today. We're, we're on a first-name basis. Oh, here. right. I hear you, Susan. I got you. So there are financial obstacles, and everything is the cycle. And, but do you understand exactly how many funds you should have for an emergency or savings or credit? And most people we find were less prepared to handle, handle those financial obstacles and more guidance was needed. And this is where you want to have somebody help you on what that path should look like. Americans need financial guidance, and, and the interest we found in the survey is high for the resources that they can help. But the interesting thing is, Uh, More than half of them are saying that they don't know where to find that information. And so people like you who are spreading this word and telling you there are solutions out there. There are people who can get you this information and help put you into homes. Mm -hmm. Um, As I mentioned before, people are sort of counting themselves out. We also found that many borrowers mistakenly think that a higher down payment is required. And almost half aren't even aware that down payment assistance grant programs exist. And these are programs that will give you money toward the purchase of your house that you do not have to pay back. It is instant equity. And and as you know, let's be clear, this is still the number one way that you can create generational wealth. Mm-hmm. It's all about real estate. Right. And it doesn't have to be the five-bedroom home with the picket fence. Uh, as you know, you mentioned I came out of New York City. It was simply getting people out of high-cost rentals that were debt burdening them, rent burdening them to 50, 52% of their income and putting them into a condo or a co-op, you know, that's uh, specific to New York. They're they're one or two bedroom apartments, but now they have equity and they own something and they can control their costs. And that also helps generate additional wealth 
through the savings that they get that they're not spending on occupancy. All right, let's go to the phone lines and hear what you folks got to say for 103-19-8888 as we talk to Ms. Uh, Susan Eiffel. Susan, will be, we'd be love to answer your questions and, you know, talk to you about your thoughts around this issue of home ownership and the financial setbacks that may be in place. And most importantly, how you can navigate through all of this, this, this very, very uh, interesting landscape here. All right, let's go to the line. Let's go to Henry. Henry, thank you for your patience. What's your question for Susan? Thank you, for asking. You're welcome. I am very impressed with the presentation that those former callers have made because they've been right on target. Mm -hmm. When I tried to buy my house, I had paid off my school loan and applied for my loan to, to buy the house. They gave me a hard time. Four times they decided to do the closing and didn't. And I had white real estate people representing me. So finally, after the fourth try, we did the closing. So the lesson I learned from that, I shared with my children. When my children went to college and finished, they had to go to New York, both of them. So I took them to New York, and after we unload the truck that Sunday night, Monday morning, I got up and I walked around the block and I saw all this rehab going on. I brought my, my daughter and my son out and I showed them, I said, look what's happening across the street. Mm -hmm. Go and join the neighborhood association. <laughs> I gave them $5,000 toward housing and I came back to Baltimore. Two years after my daughter called me and she said, dad, I'm number seven. I said, what are you talking about? She said, housing. She said, they had a raffling, and I came out number seven. And I said, your brother? She said, 107. So I said, when did he apply? She said, I applied for both of us. Okay, she bought the, the two years after. I called her, and I said, what happened to your housing? She said, I don't know. I signed a contract, and she didn't hear anything else. So I said to her, Go and get the other five people, because it was a five-store building. I said, and go and get an attorney. The contractor doesn't want you all to buy because housing prices keep going up. Yeah. That's what she did, and that's how they got in. Mm. Thank you so much, Henry, for, for checking in. Susan, can you speak to that? One of the things that, and thank you for the call, Henry, that Henry is speaking about is he, he talk, started talking about paying off the school loans. Yeah. And that was one of the things we found in the survey, Roger, that credit still presents a challenge for American households. And roughly three in 10 people have had a financial application denied due to their, their credit score. And a similar percentage, you know, delayed making a financial decision due to credit score concerns. Concerns in black adults were hit the hardest when it came to these concerns. 43% of black adults have had this denial. And so what we are telling people is, unless you're in the credit business, again, who can tell you how you find a path forward? Because if we are able to survive after bankruptcy and think about the person who was in the White House before this who had multiple bankruptcies, there are paths out of any sort of debt or situation, whether it be your student loan or whether it be some other situation, particularly medical is another one, Paraji, after student loans that we're seeing mm -hmm. is creating an issue. There are ways out of this, and many times you don't have to pay at all. A lot of our borrowers are sort of putting their head down because they're getting those calls, and what we tell them is the worst thing you can do is do nothing. Right. Work with a counselor, have a conversation, Find a way to mitigate your debt or come to some agreement so that you can move forward. So, so, so at, at this point, you know, we we've been reading, and I've been and I've been reading that that the, the the new president, President Biden, Vice President Harris, they're looking to try to bring some level of equity into the housing, um, the home ownership space. I mean, what, what's the real realistic expectation that we should have for their efforts? There's, 
They were the truth, and they <laughs> were helpful. Susan, you had to take a breath. You were like, ugh. <laughs> 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 no, I because I think people are expecting the president. <laughs> I mean, he, he kind of, he kind of, his part of his, a huge part of his platform is racial equity. And Correct. so I think that Correct. the people have are expecting that, like, there are going to be some, I think the expectation are higher for him than it was for Barack Obama, that he's going to dramatically shift uh, any type of uh, inequities and injustices in, in, in a lot of these spaces. So I'm wondering from you as, a, as an expert on this, is that reasonable for us to have that expectation? And, and, and that's why I took the breath, because they are doing tremendous things. Okay to build the equity. The breath was, it's a lot of money. It's more money than we can ever imagine to build that equity. So it's over time. Uh, so you're never going to get enough uh, to make the significant dent that you need, mm. but you can't give up the fight. But mm. they are doing a lot of specific things that get us there. So one of the things in the stimulus program is NeighborWorks received $100 million appropriation to address counseling for homeowners as well as renters, both, which is unusual. We usually have a lot of focus on home ownership. But remember, if you're not a homeowner, you're a renter. And you need to be a responsible renter as well. And what are the things that we can do? Back to our conversation about financial stability, what can we do to build that muscle in order to get you to home ownership? So it's a focus on both. And, and that's a lot of money to have uh, us have these conversations in communities of need with a focus on African-Americans. So they are doing something. You didn't see this in the prior administration, but it's a lot of money that will take to build the equity that you're talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, let's go jump back to the phone lines. We got uh, we got Thomas on the line. Thomas, you're on the air with Susan Ifield. What's your question? Roger, how are you, young man? I'm good, real Thomas. How are you, brother? I'm doing fine. Good afternoon, Miss Susan. How are you today? Good afternoon, sir. How are you, Thomas? I'm great. Hey, Faraji, what I want to, to mention is the rate that African Americans, well, black people are losing their homes um, mm. to these, because of these, what I call toxic mortgages and stuff mm -hmm. that they were put into. And, you know, back here, it was, this is just a, let's just deal with Maryland, okay? State of Maryland got $900 million. Then Governor Martin O'Malley and and, and the um, and the Attorney General Douglas Gantzler got nine hundred million dollars from the for the mortgage companies, but they signed an agreement, Faraji, with the mortgage companies that the state of Maryland won't come after them anymore. Hmm. So, if you got one of those target target mortgages and you tried to sue them. The state of Maryland is not going to give you any help with that. Mm. They, already got paid, they already got paid off. And they took that $900 million, if you remember, Verizon, and they put it back into the general fund. Yeah, yeah. So with these types of mortgages, and, and, and I want to ask your guest, how can somebody take or go to file foreclosure on a person's home and they don't have the equitable title to that person's home? Mm. Thomas, I appreciate you, brother, for checking in. Uh, Susan, can you speak to that issue along with the issue of toxic mortgages? Because it still sounds like we're still trying to recover from what has happened in 2000, was it 2008? Right, yeah, and let's be clear about that. You don't see the toxic mortgages now. There are a number of protections against that, not that they don't exist, but nowhere near the level of that did before. Mm -hmm. The issue with blacks still losing their homes that Thomas made is, yes, they had a disproportionate effect they do. And why is that? Because of the amount of debt and the net income that blacks have compared to whites or other groups. It, it, you know, and I think Boston did a study, and if, if white families had an average income of $23,000, black families had an income of $1.22. It was something ridiculous, Faraji. Mm. And so what, what that means is add COVID on top of that. And if you're already living from paycheck to paycheck, but you're doing it, you're, you're, you're building your equity, you're paying your bills, but then you have a life event, you have no savings to fall back on to help you. 
And then you're seeing, again, the impact of that happening to black and brown people at a greater rate. Mm. Mm. Mm -mm. So I'd, I'd like to say, and I've said it before, that when America gets a cold, black America gets pneumonia. And that's what this is like. And so, yes, people are losing their homes. But let me be clear, Thomas, it is not about the toxic mortgages that you saw back in 2008. All right, let's go back to the line. Cookie, thank you for checking in. What's your question for Susan? Hi, Faraji. Hey, thank Cookie. you for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, hello, uh, Miss Susan. Um, it's a great topic. I really, really appreciate it. I think it's quite timely. Um, I'm actually a homeowner. This is my first home. I'm in my about 15th year. <laughs> Come on, Faraji. We, we have to celebrate. No, I, I, I'm, I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm, there, there we go. There we go. There we go. All right, go ahead, Cookie. Okay, so thank you. So um, I'm, so I've been here for about 15 years with my mortgage, but I am also thinking about my family is actually from Virginia, a small community. Yeah. And the the area is actually named after my family. Um because a lot of my relatives owned land that they inherited, et cetera, but they also bought land. And, of course, like a lot of people, they moved up north to make money because after the farming and tobacco industry in the south took a plummet or change, um, people came up here to make a living. So what I noticed what a lot of my ancestors did is that they had houses in, in Baltimore and in New, New Jersey and other places, but they always kept a house and land in our hometown. So I'm eligible to retire. I don't have the age um, for Social Security yet because I started working early. But I'm really thinking about I want to invest in that land. I want, unlike some of my cousins, I, I want to still hold on to the land down there. I want to buy a house on the land. In fact, if my aunt owns the house, she doesn't need it um, <laughs> in our community. And they're thinking about selling it. So I want to get a second. I want to buy a second home. And I'm just wondering if you could speak to that, like some investment ideas or suggestions about that. I'm not quite sure on what the process would be to take out, a, I guess, would it be like a second mortgage? Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, Cookie, thank you so much for it's checking in. Of, Cook, uh, uh, Susan? Thank you. <laughs> yes. Cookie, keeping... Keeping real estate in the family is absolutely um, applaudable, and we need to figure out how to do that because we are losing those homes at a rapid rate. And I'll give you the example is if you're familiar with Martha's Vineyard. Um, so my family has had a home on the vineyard for over 100 years. Mm. And at one point, Martha's Vineyard used to be known as having the highest number of vacation homes owned by African Americans. Mm. That is not the case now. And I did not know that one. Yeah. And the reason being is that people did not, families did not prepare how to pass the asset down. And so when they died, uh, there were estate taxes to be paid. And most of the families weren't ready to do that. And so they had to give up the home. Or the home the, the, the family had moved away. You know, you're now on the West Coast. Do you want to come back to the family home on the vineyard? Maybe, maybe not. In Cookie's case, she does. And so what are some of the things that you can do? So you are a homeowner, and that's fantastic. So the first thing you could do, depending on the price of the, the land and the amount of equity you have in your existing home, is yes, you could take a second mortgage. Now, the risk of that is if you fall into... Uh, a life event that suddenly you're unable to pay your mortgage. You have a larger mortgage that you now have two pieces of property on it that you may be forced to sell. Never borrow up to what you can. Always borrow less than. Mm. As a former banker, I will tell you, Cookie, bankers will lend you money when you don't need it. When you need it, that's a problem. Mm. Right? Think about it. So don't put yourself in a situation that that, that would happen. The second is you can borrow directly, and you would be considered an investment loan. And the terms and conditions and the interest rate on those type of loans are different than if you were buying a primary residence. Hmm. Typically, the interest is higher. Typically, uh, the rates are, are tighter. And why is that? 
because if Cookie ran into a financial situation, what is the land or the home that she would give up first? The land that's out in Virginia versus the one she's in. No, this is this is this Susan. This is like really good stuff. And I know we our, our time has come to an end, but um, I'm just kind of reflecting on the fact that that we, these type of conversations and most importantly, the expertise that you've been providing us today, uh, it, it seems like it's, it's few and far between. Yes. Um, especially in a time where everybody thinks they know everything about every damn, you know, industry. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you, right. you don't, and I mean, oftentimes we don't sit down with professionals. We sit down with friends and family and then, oh, this is what I did. Oh, this is what I did. And it's like right. that will sing that will drive you crazy because you, you you might open yourself up to the pitfalls of of what they've gone through. So talk to us. Just kind of give us really quickly some, you know, how can people get more information about NeighborWorks America and, and getting good guidance through this whole process? Thank you for that. So I would tell everybody to go to NW.org, NeighborWorks.org, and at the top of the page, Read the page, there's a lot of good information on there, the landing page, but at the top you'll see our network. You click on that and you will see network directory. And then it, you sort it by state. So you put your state in um, and you then put in your zip code and it will identify a NeighborWorks organization. So actually somebody's telling me it's NeighborWorks.org. I guess only in, in, internal to NeighborWorks can we use NW. But NeighborWorks.org. Uh, will get you to this website, and it will help you identify somebody who will walk you through the process. But I think one of the final things I want to say, Reggie, is we as an industry, both housing counseling, affordable developers, the realtors, the banks, et cetera, we have to find more solutions to help people maintain yeah. and improve their credit, build their savings, yeah. locate the resources. So people like you, I'm happy to come back anytime and, and talk about how we create that path where are the down payment assistance programs? Where is the credit education that will get you there? I mean, when we were in New York, we would see about two or 3,000 people a year coming in interested in home ownership. Now, we would put about 400 yeah. people into homes, gotcha. condos, or co-ops a year. Mm -hmm. But what does that mean? I still have a couple of thousand people who are renters, and I need to make sure that they understand what good credit is, what the critical factors are, and helping to create the wealth that they can pass on for generations. That is Susan Eifel, Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of NeighborWorks. Susan, thank you so much for being with us on the show tonight. We truly appreciate it. Thank you. All right, folks, we got to take a quick pause. When we come back, let's talk about what's happening in Palestine and Israel. Stay riding with us. It's For the Culture on WEAA. <laughs> 